broadcasting live from the Santa Lucia Highlands through the heart of the Casterville Artichoke Fields, westward to the Elkhorn Slough, and south to the rugged Big Sur coastline. You're listening to What's the Plan? A weekly discussion with local thought leaders about the future of Monterey County. And now, here's your host, Mr. Paul Wyant. All right. Hello, everyone. I'm here today with the mayor of Monterey, Clyde Robertson. Really happy to have him as a guest. But before I begin, let me remind you that you can find out more about this program at whatstheplanmonterey.com. And you can listen to all the episodes going back to the first one there. And also our guests in the coming weeks, we're going to have David Henderson. He's a an, an economist and he was an economic advisor for Ronald Reagan and he's a libertarian. And I've also got Michael DeLapa covering both ends of the spectrum. Michael DeLapa from Windwatch, California. Um, so great couple of episodes coming up, but let's let's not bury the lead. We've got Clyde Roberson today. And uh, really happy to have you on the program, uh, Mayor Roberson. It's uh, wonderful, wonderful to talk to you. Thank you. It's always a pleasure for me to talk about our beautiful, special city. So thanks for the opportunity. First thing I uh, have to, ask, I guess, to ask you about is, is you were first mayor uh, several years ago. We can talk about that. And uh, I was thinking about, like, if you were to compare, like, one of those things where they have a before-after picture, are you... Uh, you know, are you more like before you went on the diet or after you went on the diet? I mean, how would you describe uh, Monterey then versus Monterey now? Yes, thanks for the good question. Yeah, I was elected to the city council originally in 1981, and then I became mayor in 1983. So we're talking 40 years, rounded off. And, and, and one of the things, uh, as the mayor, I have a privilege of talking to high school groups, and from Japan, Monterey High, uh, local groups, have a lot of fun talking to them. I'm going to digress quickly. I was talking to an eighth grade class pre-pandemic, and I was talking to them about how things have changed in technology between now and then. And I was talking about no cell phones and no internet, et cetera, and nothing shocked them until I noticed there was a Starbucks cup on her teacher's desk. And I said to these 14-year-olds, and there weren't any Starbucks. And the, and the room became instantly silent. They were shocked. And so one uh, young lady raises her hand from the back of the room. Well, where, where did you get your cappuccinos? <laughs> <laughs> that is, yeah, that is so true. Like society-wide, like coffee wasn't as good in the 80s. I mean, no. People forget that coffee just was not as good. And it was like three brands of deodorant. But now there's 7,000. So, there yeah, is. <laughs> so but all from, this- from their viewpoint, it's always interesting to ask them. Uh, sooner or later, they, uh, they, well, they always say I'm older, but sooner or later, they, what they don't necessarily talking about, I'll ask them about water in Japan, water locally, things that we care about, and housing. They're very sensitive to the housing situation, but so much of it's technology, and they don't have, uh, so few of them have TVs at home anymore, except live streaming. Mm-hmm. And, and they, they don't tweet, they don't YouTube, they use TikTok and Snapchat and Instagram and WhatsApp, and I don't even know what those are. <laughs> It is certainly, it's so interesting. So I'd like to talk to them. uh, I I talk to them about cameras. 
And I said, yeah, back in the day, we had cameras. And then Polaroids came out. And then I said, we had film. And they said, oh, yeah, yeah, we know about that. We see those on the movies. We're all good with that. And I said, that you didn't use their, your phone for that. Oh, okay. Then I talked to him about the first typewriters. Remember, they were manual. Then the electric typewriters came out. And well, they understand keyboards. And I said, we used whiteout when we made a mistake and we had to fix it. Mm-hmm. And there was no such thing as, as spam and spell check. And then I said, and if you had a virus back in the day, it was something that made you sick. It wasn't something that was on your phone. And I said, okay. So at the time I had a flip phone and I got my flip phone out and I thought, well, this is my flip phone. And, and the, uh, the high school students and so they always laugh. Well, my grandma's got one of those. But I said, well, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> I am a grandpa. So I get that. <laughs> then the big I buttons. Huh? With the big buttons, the big yeah. oversized buttons. Yeah. Oh, if you watch a Seinfeld episode and they're walking around and their phones are the size of a shoe. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That's in the yeah, 90s. With the, yeah. Yeah. The car phones and that. Yeah. Right. It's a. And and so then I talked to him about, of course, we get on to telephones. And I said, yeah, well, kids, back in the day, we had, uh, see, we had rotary phones and it was connected to the wall. Oh, yeah, we've seen those on TV. And I said, right. And then we had uh, party lines. Yeah. I'm really aging myself. As I, well, no, I had a party line growing up in the 80s. So it was, yeah. it was kind of antiquated then. But yeah. Exactly. So I told him, well, it was interesting. You'd pick up the phone and somebody else might be on. So if you were polite, you would hang it up. But anyway, you'd be having a conversation. Then you'd say, okay, Paul, nice talking to you. Then I'd hear click, 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 click. And the kids would go, oh, everybody was listening. Uh huh. <laughs> everybody was listening. And if you had an impolite neighbor, they might bell as well. So yeah, I'll while you were on the phone. But yeah, and then people would think yeah, it was you. It was funny. Then I talked to him about, uh, oh, a copying. And this is interesting because maybe your generation, Paul, the uh, the younger one, not, although you're quite young. So I talked to them about ditto or mimeograph machines, where if we wanted to make copies, I'm a 35-year moderate school teacher. So yeah. I would go in and I would type or write something on, it was a ditto master. It had carbon on the back. Mm-hmm. And then you'd put it in a machine and on a roller and you'd hand crank it and you'd make 30 copies, 40 copies for your students. They would last maybe 100 copies and you'd have to do it over again. And a lot of people say, oh, I remember those. They came out purple, purple print. <laughs> I remember the smell, they said. <laughs> they, they, yeah, I can remember that as well. Yeah. And so you put the you put the fluid in the, the machine. What would it even can't even describe it? It just was a big drum. And they said, oh, and so there's the old mind, which is so fun for me. The uh, the, the ancient mind uh, where smell is, is very strong for bringing back memories. And then I can remember when we got our first copying machine in school and I thought I had died and gone to heaven. It was wonderful. Yeah, much easier. Well, now now the uh, the copy, the toners and everything last so long. I think our copy machine lasts like five, ten thousand copies. Yeah, it's amazing how good and efficient they are. In the you know, it's color and and everything else. Well, let's go, but let's do the same thing. But instead of uh, at the high school or at the, the school level, like let's play, if you had to describe Monterey back in eighty one. Um, like what 
what kind of things would, would we be surprised to know? It's folks that have only lived here for you know, a few, maybe even a couple decades. What All kind right. of stuff would uh, be surprising about Monterey in 1981? Okay, let's do that. Uh, we did not have any neighborhood associations or our neighborhood and community improvement program. And now we have 16 neighborhood associations. No sports center. The sports, yeah, center, the sports center was Beatty Ford. And so... In 1981, the city purchased the Beatty Ford property for a purpose of performing arts center or a recreational use. So we did a feasibility study and realized a performing arts center would be a, a big money loser. Plus, we already had a, the a Sunset Theater and we had um, the conference center. The conference center was there. And so at, that was designated as... Uh, the Monterey Sports Center. And that has a lot of uh, interesting stories too when we have more time. Now, Hilltop Park was a school where I was teaching fifth grade. And so the school district surplus those. Bayview School in New Monterey is now Trinity. I taught mm. there as well. Then Larkin was a school. It was opened and closed. And now it has um, Bayview Academy in it. Fort Ord was still an infantry training facility with a population of 32,000 people. And it closed in 1994, no CSUMB. That started in 1994 as well. Naval Postgraduate School and the Defense Language Institute obviously were here. You could drive right in, you could walk in, uh, play tennis, totally open campus. And it wasn't just 9-11 uh, that caused the closing of the campuses. It was simply the whole idea of security. Monterey Institute was here. It was small, struggling financially, almost closed. Then Middlebury purchased it, and it's doing really well. We had a bay, but we didn't have a marine sanctuary, which we do now. That was 1992. And Depending on your listening audience, there may be yays and boos. There was no water management district. <laughs> well, I've heard quickly on that is I've heard that Monterey actually uses as much water as they did in like the late 50s because of uh, conservation measures and stuff, even though the population has gone up slightly. Per capita. Yeah. But uh, we have such a huge tourist population four to five million visitors a year. So the uh, total use of the water is, is higher, but per capita for sure, because we went through the drought in the 1980s and there was actually rationing of 50 gallons per person per day. And I think we're below that now. So the window to the bay, we just started 1981 to 1983. I can remember when we purchased the first property and we tore down the first property on the waterfront and those over the years had been fishing plants where they process fish and then they became offices. So at that time, the buildings were old and we were blocked off from our base. So we started that in 1981, 1982. There was no recreational trail. The city was able to form a partnership with Pacific Grove in the regional park district. And we started that in the 1980s. Was it, that was a derelict uh, train Line, yes, right? exactly. Yeah. And it was abandoned. Uh -huh. yeah. And the Maritime Museum 
which is not a maritime museum anymore. Now it's a dolly and magic show. But that were those. There were two tennis courts there. Oh, so wow. the History and Art Association put together a program, and uh, Stanton donated millions of dollars to build the building, which still belongs to the city of Monterey, and they lease it from us. Was it, were all the Brandman buildings there? Uh, what's now Brandman oh, above the tunnel and all that? Was that all that there? Um, in nineties, oh, Heritage 80s? Harbor. Yeah, that was yes. I wasn't on the council when we, that was approved. So, you know what's interesting is that seems very underutilized. Is there any uh, any movement or thoughts on that, or is it pretty much used for what we think it's going to be used for? Well, I think it belongs to uh, the Monterey Bay Aquarium. Ah, okay. At this point, and I don't know what, what their plans are for it. If you look at the parking garage, you can see an elevator tower sticking mm-hmm. up. Yeah, there were approved plans to put four or five stories on that side too. Oh, so it was going to be more parking garage. I was wondering what yeah. was going to go uh-huh. over there. So that's more parking garage. Okay, but then you look at what's happening in the shared economy, and certainly it wouldn't be retail, but no. possibly but it, could, it could be hotel, maybe hotel or possibly housing for employees. Mm-hmm. That's true. So yeah. now we're getting into housing because I know that was during your uh, recent re-election campaign. That was the one thing you're very proud of is all the housing that you've added to Monterey, and it's been great. Now there's the the initiative by the state for cities to add all the thousands of new houses. In Monterey's case, the Lake Postero area I think has been redistricted away from commercial, so you could housing there. And I want to ask this question because, as I said, Michael Delapa from Watch is coming in and they're very big into infill construction and vertical construction. How high and, and if they wanted, if a developer wanted to increase density over there, how, what is the height restrictions and, and you know, like what kind of projects could they do in the, in that area? Okay. Well, currently we, uh, we have designated a special zone, which would allow up to four stories. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, the standard is three stories. And so if you take the whole look uh, east downtown, that's where we established it uh, off uh, Del Monte Boulevard. And that is or in East Franklin. I'm sorry, East Franklin. So that could go to four stories. We did have a project uh, applied, no water, or the city actually donated some water to it to make it at least possibly feasible. But and a, a good friend of mine who does a lot of development told me at this point, he can't build anything because of the costs. So I asked, well, affordable housing, there are four city sites that we're hoping to build affordable housing on. And I said, well, what if the land's donated? And he said he couldn't build affordable housing even if the land was free. So that is alarming. And we're going to have to continue to try to figure that out. I'm not a fan of uh, six, seven, eight-story buildings in the city. In fact, the Marriott, which originally was the Sheridan, when the San Carlos, another thing, the San Carlos was there, it got torn down and the Marriott was built. And that's how I ended up being mayor. People in Monterey said, enough hotels already, especially big ones like that. And so there's always the quality of life. Mm-hmm. The uh, I don't want us to become uh, a San Jose and a San Francisco. And there's kind of a be interesting question to ask my friend uh, Michael about. There's this whole theory that if you build more units, they'll be more affordable. I haven't figured that one out yet. So if, if Well, if you're not next to San Jose, where people might just buy 
the second homes, it's probably maybe true. Because right. I think if, as a as a experiment or a comparison, you might look at someplace like uh, Gulf Shores, Alabama, or Pensacola, Florida, and they've got like twenty story hotels all up and down the beach, right. and they don't have a shortage of workers. They have cheaper housing, but they're allowed to kind of construct. As, as they will. And they, you know, it's very free. You can just do whatever you want there. Right. And they don't have water restrictions like we do. And I, I would assume because something like 90% of our water is used by agriculture. Um, anyway, so there is water. It's just what we choose to use it for rather than housing. And we kind of got the community, in my opinion, we got the community we want because I mean, if you don't want it to be Gulf Shores, Alabama, if you've ever seen pictures, Google it, but it's nothing but 10-story uh, right. hotels and condos and stuff. That could easily have happened to Monterey, I assume, if, if you know we, things were just allowed to go the way they wanted them to or the way they would go with the developers and everything. So, but I think, I think that's – I think the community is strongly against that. Is that about what you're – well, you were elected because of it. Yeah. Yes. I think there's it's there's the old it's the arguments from way back in the eighty one eighty three when I first came on the scene, and that was there was uh, development there was overdevelopment, and so we do have to maintain our small town character. So I was in support of the four sites that we established in the city for possible affordable housing. So we're out for RFPs, requests for proposals. We're going to see if some folks are able to build with free land, but there's still the water restriction. We also out on by the airport on Garden Road have uh, rezoned that to mixed and residential. There's a lot of potential for housing out there. That's the Herald building, right? The Monterey Herald Herald building on Garden. Was it the Monterey Herald building? No, no, that is in uh, Ryan Ranch. But I'm talking Garden Road, which is by the airport. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so uh, <clears throat> the city has rezoned that to <clears throat> generate several hundreds uh, units for affordable housing. And so we went to the water district and also the state water resources control board and said, hey, can you shake some water loose? We have a developer ready to go. And wow. the, the water district was in favor of, of it, but the state water resources control board has a cease and desist order and says, no, no meters, period. No, forget about it. What, well, what about the desalinization plant? Because the desalinization plant would free up a bunch of water. I mean, if it were built, it would have create overcapacity versus the, the, the recapturing of gray water plan Monterey one, which, which part of that argument do you fall under? Do you choose to rise above <laughs> No, no, I'm, 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 I'm not a fan of the desal plant for a variety of reasons, one of which it's privately owned. It would make a lot more sense to be publicly owned. So, you know, the water management district's in the process of trying to purchase Calam's assets. Uh, secondly, the, uh, the desal plant's going to be environmentally negative because the amount of energy that it takes to process uh, seawater is huge. It, you can't if you do you do one thing with your left hand <clears throat> to provide water, then in the right hand you have to think about the environmental damage. Very costly, the water per acre foot is almost six thousand. Whereas pure water Monterey, it's called. There's phase one, which is right now producing about thirty-seven hundred acre feet of water. The second phase, which I have supported, and the water district has uh, district mayors. Uh, Monterey One Water Board, and that would add another 2,700 acre feet, which would allow for the growth that we're talking about for the next 20 years, according to AMBAG numbers. 
Mm, okay. So, so you think that the, um, that we can grow as a city, we can continue to grow with the reuse water and it'll be, the water will stay affordable, but we still won't be able to afford to build because of the cost of construction is very high. At this point, but yeah. I think that's cyclical. I hope, because I can remember the inflation uh, during the 80s and 90s. Uh, was it Gerald Ford or might that it might have been under Gerald Ford? Because you always blame the president. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, there was a lot during Jimmy Carter's. I know that Jimmy was the Carter highest. Too. Yeah. Ford and Carter in the uh, in the mid to late 70s. And the beginning yes. of Reagan, I think, was still over 10. Yeah, yeah it was. But it see, that's when a while. It, that was so interesting because interest rates were, to purchase a home, interest rates were at 15%. For mm-hmm. years, they'd been 6 to 8%, and we thought that was all reasonable. And the Federal Reserve, of course, during the pandemic for the last four or five years has kept it at zero. But mm-hmm. so at the prime rate, which translates to anyone buying a home, 25 to 3%. So I, I'm thinking uh, the pandemic, another interesting topic, what's the the new normal going to look like it's this yeah. we have during the pandemics there's a shortage so corporations toilet papers was a good example they manufacture just enough to be slightly ahead of demand so if demand surges which remember when everybody was out buying toilet paper at the beginning of the shelter in place well there wasn't any because they don't stockpile it. it's too expensive and a lot of the things we buy are there's a term for it i, I don't remember but it's they're barely ahead just in time i think it's just in time inventory i think that's yes computer chips for cars 80 percent are manufactured in taiwan and korea and so it's the same thing just enough to anticipate demand because they don't want them sitting in warehouses then you have a backup at the ports because you don't have anybody to unload them. So yes. I think this hopefully is temporary. The new normal is going to be interesting, what it's going to look like. Are we going to be in a constant cycle? Does the pandemic become an endemic where we're going to live with it? That's what pretty much everybody says. We're not going to eradicate it. And if we're going to live in with uh, live with it, are we going to be online like this, Zoom meetings? Uh, we're doing hybrid meetings at City Hall, sometimes in person, sometimes not. I think defining where we go in the future is going to be interesting if as we get off fossil fuels where does that go gas is very expensive right now yeah. so but i've seen that rise and fall too well, well, that, yep go I, ahead i just had a question or a comment for the mayor to get his take on and yeah. it goes back to the affordable housing issue in the yes. area here and i think that a large part of it is due to the fact that you know you're talking about the difference between monterey in 81 and monterey today and mm-hmm. i came here in 82 and, mm-hmm. you know, Monterey was in a lot of respects, and particularly new Monterey, very down market. You know, the, the community hadn't gentrified, and we've seen a lot of gentrification, Monterey, Pacific Grove, almost the entire peninsula over the last 40 years. When you have an area that becomes so desirable to people who are going to invest a lot of money here, I mean, it's, it's really hard to kind of hold the line on on affordable housing because it's these economic forces that are, 
you know, driving up the cost of admission. There's that old saying that overbuying at the top raises the price of admission at the bottom. And and, and mm. to me, just two of the biggest things that I think changed the peninsula uh, and, and really sped up the gentrification was, number one, the closure of Fort Ord, right? Because yep. as long as you had 15,000 low-paid GIs and their families in, in the area, you had a big market for, you know, discounts and low price, you know, kind of bottom market type of stuff. And then the expansion of Highway 101, when when they built Highway 101 from South San Jose through to Morgan Hill, and it took like 45 minutes off the trip to come from the Bay mm-hmm. Area to Monterey. Uh-huh. I think those are the kinds of things that led to where we are, contributed to where we are today. Yeah, Mark, I, I agree with you. I, I read one of the uh, subdivisions in Marina, and 50% of them were purchased by Silicon Valley San Jose people because the yeah, commute was the less than. Yeah. Yeah. And then you take a look, take a look at my own block. Um, the happy to say that we have some uh, younger families on my block now. When we were raising ours, there were kids all over this hillside. And I won't even tell you how much houses were there and they were cheap. I, as a teacher, on a teacher's salary, I could buy a house. But no, you, you can't. You can't even come up with a down payment. But two of our more recent neighbors. One was uh, leaving Silicon Valley. Lived in Scotts Valley. Was in the medical profession. Bought a house here and said I wanted to get out of the rat race. I chose Monterey. And then another person here was from Los Angeles, a retired firefighter, and said I wanted out. Came up to Monterey. Said I love it. Bought a house, and. We think housing's expensive here, but Scotts Valley and parts of LA, this this was a bargain. And so you're right, Mark. We have a, a lot of demand because it's such a beautiful place. But yeah, that's that, true. That's true worldwide. If you go anywhere, uh, Coronado Island again. Getting back to more density means things are cheaper. San Diego, a studio apartment in San Diego on Coronado Island is four thousand a month. And, and I think the Bay Area is quite expensive, too. San Francisco, I have a granddaughter who's at the University of San Francisco in a dorm right now. But next year, she may be going to house, uh, house and apartment, honey. So we'll see. But there are the desirability. Uh, Senator Laird, when he was the Secretary of Human Resources under Jerry Brown, spoke. And he said, somebody asked him about the, uh, the train to nowhere out in the Central Valley. And so he, he's, he answered that. But then he said, we have to realize in California, we have a water system, a freeway system, an infrastructure system, and transportation system, and so on, freeways, highways, for 20 million people. There are 40 million of us. And I thought, oh, yeah. So we've got a lot of catching up to do. So when we talk about a dearth of housing, that's true, too. Monterey is going to do its part, but a city of 25,000 people can't house 40 million people. I, I agree wholeheartedly. Mayor, unfortunately, we're almost out of time. And I, all I got to, you're absolutely right. It's one of the most desirable places in the country to live um, and probably why you don't see as many uh, problems like we have in, you know, the coast of Florida and Alabama and places mm-hmm. when I bring up those, but they're starting to see it like the coastal, all the coastal communities are really desirable. And I think they're all probably in the next 20, 30 years going to be facing similar issues that California is right now. But I go to Salinas a lot. 
and Salinas has beautiful weather and it's uh, a great place to build and live as well. So, so you, they may, some of our problems may, or some of the Monterey problems may uh, translate into the Salinas Valley before too long. But I did want to ask you one last question before we go. Um, the uh, old, old fisherman's wharf is uh, the old scales. Uh, is, is there any uh, tenant for that yet? We went so, from big uh, to really small. Yes. Okay. There's, very quickly, we are going to we are putting out a request for proposals for the whole building or parts of it. It could conceivably easily be a small fish market, a, a shop, and then the restaurant itself. The upstairs upstairs is always hard to lease. I'm not opposed to even putting offices or related uses there. And so we uh, we will be putting out an RFP and finding out if there's any interest. We've been approached. We as a city have been approached by one or two local people, but just asking what the status is. So it's it's in process. We'll have to see. It's hard to take on a building that big. Well, there's so many things I'd love to ask you about parking and all the future of Monterey, Mayor, yeah. but uh, we'll get to it next time if you uh, would be so gracious to come back. But uh, anyway, I want to remind I'm Paul Wyant. I want to thank Mayor Clyde Roberson, the mayor of Monterey. Uh, it was a wonderful conversation. I, uh, I'm the owner of Express Employment Professionals of Monterey uh, County, and if you have a business and you need people, we can find good ones for you. So give us a call today, 831-920-1857. Again, I'd like to thank Monterey Mayor Clyde Roberson and Mr. Mark Carbonaro, the uh, producer of this program, and of course, Dave Marzetti, the host of the Saturday Morning Shag Bag Radio Show at 9 a.m. right here on 101.1 FM and 1460 a.m. Thanks again, and please tune in next week or go to whatstheplanmonterey.com. Some people get their kicks stopping on a dream